Hello, everybody, and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Good Trash Garbage Shoot. This is where uh, us here at the Good Trash Studios uh, take a look at the newest films and give you our quick takes and reactions on them. Uh, and today uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, the m- half of the movie event of the year. Uh, but I am Arthur Gordon, and I am joined by... Hey, it's me, Dalton Stewart. Hello. Uh, and today we're going to be taking a look at Oppenheimer uh, from Christopher Nolan. Uh this is Barbenheimer weekend. It is. Uh, I have not achieved Barbenheimer status. You have, though. I have. I've truly transcended. I've unlocked a new level of movie going. Um, I am. Uh, I feel ascendant. Uh, I will be achieving uh, that Zen state later today when I see Barbie to complete the double feature. Uh, you know, on the other show, you often say we used to make be a country. We used to make movies. Are we back to being a country is the question. We've never been more back, Arthur. We're back. And, well, you know, until the strike. Uh, well, <laughs> this till the strike draft. There it hits. is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a, a momentary reprieve from the pandemic and ongoing labor issues uh, internationally. And it does seem audiences do want movies. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They but want maybe movies. not the movie studios have been forcing them. And that's what's so interesting is audiences want something without a cape. Uh, yeah. They'll take a toy movie. They will still settle for a toy movie, but God damn it, it better not have a cape in it. And if well, it does, they better be doing something cheeky. Yeah, and we'll, we will come back to that discussion here in a bit, but let's get started. I'm going to give a synopsis uh, overview of Oppenheimer. If you're not sure what this is about, I'm going to pull this from Universal Studios, and then we're going to talk a little bit about numbers before we get into our thoughts on at least Oppenheimer. Dalton may say a few things about Barbie. Uh, Written and directed by Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer is an IMAX shot epic thriller that thrusts audiences into the pulse-pounding paradox of of the enigmatic man who must risk destroying the world in order to save it. The film stars Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer and Emily Blunt as his wife, biologist and botanist Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer. Oscar winner Matt Damon portrays General Leslie Groves Jr., director of The Manhattan Project. And Robert Downey Jr. plays Louis Strauss, a founding commissioner of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission. Uh, the film is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning book American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer by Kai Bird and the late Martin J. Sherwin. The film is produced by Emma Thomas, Atlas Entertainment's Charles Roven, and of course Christopher Nolan. Oppenheimer is filmed in a combination of IMAX, 65mm, and 65mm large format film photography, including, for the first time ever, sections in IMAX black and white analog photography. Oppenheimer is rated R for strong language, nudity, sexual content, and runs around three hours. Uh, in regards to that photography, we should probably note cinematographer Hoyt Van Hotema here, working with Nolan. Uh, Hoyt, my boy. Oh, he, can't, he can't miss. God, it's gorgeous. Uh, projections for Barbenheimer weekend was forecasting a 50 million pool for Oppenheimer, uh, but the film has overperformed and brought in over 80 million domestically in its opening weekend. Uh, as of this recording, uh, we got a few hours left to put those numbers in the books. Uh, this makes it the second highest grossing debut for a non-franchise R-rated film right behind Passion of the Christ, but still has some time to surpass that film, which had 83, I believe, uh, domestic opening. And this is done like 175, 177 internationally, something it's like stupid, that. Yeah, it's right? done big numbers. Um, not to mention Barbie, which you said you mentioned, you, you looked at those numbers as well. I think they were forecasting 100, and I know it has surpassed yeah, that. Yeah, it's done 155 domestically, I believe, and over 330 internationally. Yeah, huge weekend. This is the, I, I, if I remember what I read correctly, I believe this is the only weekend ever 
where a movie, the number one was over a million and the number two was over 50. Wild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it has been so long to, since we've seen those sorts of numbers, I think. And, you know, the marketing just took on its own design with because of Barbenheimer. Like, mm-hmm. that idea was such a grassroots, meme-based push. And obviously the studios love it. Yeah. But oh, I think yeah. you're right. It did kind of, you know, that there is some speculation that Warner Brothers to uh, sort of slap the wrist of their former golden boy, put yeah. Barbie out on this weekend intentionally. And I think it's uh, been a boon to both films. Yeah. I mean, there were questions of I know, I know there were had been press screenings in major markets where they were scheduled at the same time. Yeah. There were obviously, you know, releasing them together. Um and it's just been surprising, I think. You know, we're leading into the weekend like this where you do have two movies, both which it's not quite sure, I think, from the outside who the audience is outside of film people, mm-hmm. you know, cinephiles. Mm-hmm. Because Barbie being PG-13, directed by Greta Gerwig, so you've got that going for it. And based on a child's toy, it's hard to know who that's actually going to be for in the finished product, I think, and in the marketing and then Oppenheimer, obviously, again, a film bros thing, right? For yeah. film fans, cinephiles, because of Nolan, because of his pedigree. Uh, but to be this um, three-hour biopic, yeah. biopic, right? Uh, and so I think there were a lot of kind of questions. And obviously, the big question going into a weekend like this with two heavy hitters is, are they just going to divide? You know, and obviously... They've boosted each other's yeah, numbers, Yeah, I mean, the double like. feature yeah. was a huge selling point. I mean, AMC had reported 20,000 or 30,000 people planning to double feature it, right? Nice. I mean, that became a huge part of the story. I mean, it's the biggest event weekend, it feels like, since Endgame. Yeah. The question is, did the movies deliver? The answer for me is sort of. I, I, I was prepared this weekend to go in uh, to experience the heights of cinema, to have my hair fully blown back. Um, I got the goosebumps and I cried. Uh, my socks remained on my feet, though. My bowels remained full. Uh, I well, have that's not, good. Well, you know, sometimes that's what you're looking for. Yeah, that packed 70 millimeter audience may not have been happy if you'd uh, unleashed your <laughs> bowels on it. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I like both of these movies. I surprised myself and ended up liking Oppenheimer more. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't have guessed it either. Um, But I I definitely think these are really strong films that mostly succeed at their sort of stated purpose. I think they both have bigger ambitions that they don't necessarily deliver on. Um, And that's for various different reasons in in both films, and we don't have time to cover both films in their entirety. Uh, But I, I definitely have a lot there's a lot to love with both movies uh especially costuming and production design and performance on both and Mm -hmm. cinematography on both films is just truly in a whole a a true a a truly like spectacular level uh really both uh, big studios putting all the money on the screen you do love to see that that level of of craft um just really executed at an extremely high level with a lot of money that's very exciting um But again, I think they both kind of fumble the ball in the end zone. I think they both have third act problems. I think they both can't get out of their own ways. Um, But uh, again, it's just exciting for film to be kind of at the center of cultural discourse for the first time in quite a while. And again, for it to not be about even if one of the films is uh, brought to you by Mattel, 
at, at least it's not a Disney property. At least it's not a Star Wars. At least it's not a, a DC or Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. at least we're, we're getting to talk about inventive and original at some level films. Yes, one's based on a, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winning novel or a biography. One is based on a toy. Uh, so it, it is like, a, you know, as, as much of a success as it is, we still have to temper that a little bit. You know what I mean? While, while it is fun to say these are original films and while that's largely true, it, you know, is a little more complicated than that. And I think yeah. it's worth talking about. No, certainly. But uh, yeah, I, what, are you, what about you? I mean, you've only seen Oppenheimer yeah. and I think you're quite a bit warmer on it than I am. And again, I think it might be my third or fourth favorite Nolan movie. I think, you know, a, a guy that I'm not big on lately that I've really cooled on the last five years, even eight years, maybe. Um, but I, I was really surprised how much this film like connected with me when it was really cooking. Uh, Nolan, you're kind of medium on, right? You're not like a devotee. Yeah, I mean, like you, I think I've cooled in, in recent years. You know, I still haven't seen Tenet. Mm-hmm. You know, I never got around to doing that. And so, um, but it is always, you know, watching one of his movies be like, yeah, he is good. Like, I, I'm not going to deny he's, he's talented, right? Um, and very, very capable of putting out a product and i think he knows that as well which is sometimes i think his downfall definitely um so yeah i i was very i was just really excited about this weekend and you know seeing oppenheimer and the the closer it got and those trailers and i mean obviously uh, a lot to love there with the casting and we can talk about that more in a minute but um and getting to see you know i mentioned we saw it on 70 millimeter we got to see with that here in oklahoma Mm -hmm. city and, and there's just something about seeing something on film, you know, compared to just regular digital projection that we've gotten so accustomed to. Uh, so that was nice. Um, and so my takes on Nolan, I, I think he's capable. I think um, as, he's as much of a studio tour as there probably ever will be mm. for a while. Mm. Um, you know, Pill might, you know, get there, but Nolan feels like he has commanded a level of, um, respect and decision making that isn't obviously afforded a lot of studio filmmakers, which I think is where you can find the roots of the distaste for him. Because mm-hmm. I, I've heard multiple times this weekend that Nolan is a hack from multiple people. Yeah, and I know a lot of people feel that way, and I think that feeling is curdled by the fact he is one of the few filmmakers being afforded blank check status for original ideas. I mean, he, you know, uh, you know, the idea of the, the auteur of commerce that, Mm -hmm. uh, one for them, one for me, isn't a new concept, but he has done it maybe better or more effectively and efficiently than any director in the last 30 years. Right. It is, you know, he does memento gets a lot of love is given the keys to Batman um, and then based on that, he gets to do the prestige and then dark Knight, and then really anything he wants at that point. Yeah. Uh, and, and really the only thing he's left to chase is, it seems like the awards that he's never been given a really good chance at. Well, in like better deals. I mean, the universal dealer is insane. He gets like 20% front end box office. They've got like a 30 day blackout on either side of the film's release or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, a commitment to premium large formats for X number of weeks. Like yeah. it really is an insane deal. The, what, what details of it are public. Uh, if, if you look into it, it's, it's pretty, you know, the, the, um, he had a lot of pull coming off of Warner Brothers and Universal yeah. was like, we'll give you whatever you want, buddy. Come work. And you, you can't blame him. Bring your right? I mean, movie to us. Yeah. He has 
just a run of string. I don't know. Disputes aside, right? I mean, who knows what's happening over at Warner Brothers Universal, whatever, you know, Zlaslov or whatever his name is, just doing crazy things over there. You you don't let this guy go. I, I mean, I think that's mistake numero uno. I think you, they're you, trying to court him back already yeah, is what I'm I've sure. heard. Yeah. Right? You, you rebuild those bridges as quick as possible, mm-hmm. uh, especially after this weekend. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's fun. Obviously, when people get popular, usually there is a turn uh, on them in some form. I mean, it happens with the movie, with musicians. I mean, it just happens when things get popular. There are contrarians that start coming out. Uh, I, I think I just don't really put as much focus on the director anymore as I would have 10 years ago. Same. Uh, but I, I mean, I think Nolan is good. I think this film is a culmination. That's what I kind of put in letterbox. It's the culmination of what he's been working on the last 20 something years, right? It, it, it is nonlinear. It is uh, complex. It is layered. Uh, it is a stoic uh, protagonist um, who's kind of on the fringes, who people just don't quite understand, or, or they'll never be able to grasp what he yeah. grasps, right? Yeah, the genius who who can't connect with the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah very much a Nolan protagonist. And very thematically, if you do think about the tourism of, of these movies as being about making movies, right? We have this person coming in to direct, and there's mm-hmm. pushback from executives, and there's pushback from the people working <laughs> with him, and he sees further than they do, and he'll bind them with his ancient logic, <laughs> right? Because... Uh, he he has on another level. And, and so those sorts of things are also very uh, present here yeah. as they have been in Batman mm-hmm. and Inception. Yeah, I know and people in love Stellar. to talk about Inception as a metaphor for making movies. Yeah. People get so high on that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I've one. I, I can't. I think it was my friend Jacob that I just worked on that Twister thing with. Yeah. I think it was him that told me about the the interpretation that this is. Uh, some people think this is a uh, Nolan uh, making a movie about destroying blockbusters by making the modern superhero movie. And I, I don't know. I think that reading is legit, but I think it's a, a funny and kind of interesting, you know, to, to compare the A-bomb to the superhero movie is something. Uh, is something. That's a yeah. choice. Uh, it's interesting uh, to think about. Yeah, I, I man. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. And I think obviously it's so well constructed. I mean, technically, mm-hmm. I mean. I don't know if Nolan and the team he's assembled has ever been better. I mean, Hoyt, Van Hoyt, mm. cinematography and Ludwig, uh, his, his compositions. Yeah. I just like really, it is the photography and the music that like kept me swept up in this film for the first two hours. Yeah. I mean, the ability to make just, you know, uh, shot reverse shot conversations, super compelling mm-hmm. because of this very low, uncertain dangerous score that's mm-hmm. you know in the background that makes you very tense as to what what will be said to offend you know mm-hmm. or something you know who's going to go off here and some kind of cool filmmaking choices uh where we get intercuts with the, these sort of visualizations of yep. scientific concepts yep. or visualizations of like bomb making mechanics yeah uh, and some really kind of just kind of fun stuff there that, yeah. that i really responded with yeah I, I, and that was kind of the thing coming into this is you know we've seen nolan obviously he loves playing with time he loves playing with you know different types of photography black mm-hmm. and white and d- formats and things like that he loves uh sound design that's a big part in score obviously is all of his work with zimmer uh, and the way that kind of factors into his work as well but i think for the first time that i can recall uh, again, not having seen him, you know, following or tenant. Th- this is really the first time visually we're seeing him do something different with those sorts of very sort of art 
art house style shots that you don't typically see in Nolan work. It is. Yes. Yeah, here's Malik op- get invoked. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking a lot. I, I thought some of PT Anderson as well. Um, but it is that idea of, you know, killing Murphy as Oppenheimer staring off into space and then, you know, bursts of science mm-hmm. happening. And mm-hmm. it's very, very cool and very compelling and a very, in a way that most movies like this wouldn't be compelling. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't think of going to Nolan for like being emotionally pulled into a movie, but there's a scene where David Crumholtz and Kelly Murphy are talking about like, all right, this is what we're going to do at Los Alamos. Like it is kind of like the, the real, like Batman begins. This is how you choose who you're going to be seen. And in that aspect of it, of, of him being like, okay, well I have to don the hat and the yeah. pipe. And it's a little silly, but the beat before that is all about, God damn it, why do we have to do this? Why are we in a position where we have to create the most terrible thing anybody could create? And it is just because it's wartime and the other side's doing it. And uh, I just I never was more emotionally invested in the film than in that beat where I had tears streaming down my face. And I'm mad at God in the universe that the A-bomb exists and that the Nazis pursued it and it meant the rest of the world had to chase it. Shaking my fist at the skies... That's filmmaking. I was really locked in. And then uh, to kind of piggyback off of that feeling, I think the very final beats of this film really like play interestingly with sort of theory, you know, uh, the the sort of sociological civilization level theory uh, or ideas that we have to consider because of the existence of atomic weapons. And I, I do think the ending is great, but where I'm less compelled emotionally is, you know, I, I'm interested in Oppenheimer's personal life because it is so dramatic and messy, but I don't know that the film does its due diligence in, like, servicing that storyline, you know, especially the way it handles Gene Tadlock and Kitty Oppenheimer. Eleven films in, you really think a filmmaker who struggles with his female characters would be doing a little bit better at this point, and yeah. poor Kitty Oppenheimer is just, like... The uh, synopsis I read up top gives more to her than the movie does. She's just, I mean, and Emily Blunt, innocent. Great performance. No, yeah. But yeah. she's just kind of reduced to this sad alcoholic with postpartum depression. And that's really all we're ever told about her and, and who is mad that her husband cheated on her despite how their relationship started. Yeah, it is unfortunate, I think. And really probably, unfortunately also the kind of biggest throwaway moment from the film is what they do with, uh, especially with uh, Florence Pugh as Jean Talok. Yeah. Is her last name. There, who uh, the film alludes to, and who I think American Prometheus alludes to, m- might have been murdered by the government. They would never do that, would they? No, the U.S. government would never <laughs> uh, uh, kill somebody to protect one of their assets. Yeah, I don't believe that. That's crazy talk. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, there are those problems. I think the other thing I, I've kind of come around on on Nolan is I think he just has a third act problem in general, mm-hmm. and for me, that typically comes in the form of a lot of exposition dumping that is unnecessary. Yeah. We talked about, I think that on when we did the prestige, right? There's a huge moment at the end where uh, Jackman has to explain everything that's happened to us, even though you can put a lot of it together and there may be some that you can't, but Mm -hmm. most of it you can put together. And we get that here with Downey, uh, who begins to uh, really explain everything that has taken place and everything that is going forth. Uh, and, and he manages everything. it well. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a mouthful of dialogue. Yeah, he has it is. Downey's great. He's really sending it home. But again, it just feels so unnecessary mm-hmm. to 
you know double down on what we've already been seeing and can kind of put together contextually sure. anyway. Uh, and for me, that's where it gets a bit messy and starts to spin its wheels because mm-hmm. it feels like it's trying to hit three hours. Well, and ethically, I think a real drawback of the film. This is something that a, a friend of mine is pretty mad about. And I, I'm right there with he. He's really mad at the movie in general. Doesn't think we need a three hour biopic about Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm more on board with exploring this person and, you know, what it must have been like to be him and consider the terrible powers you've wrought into the world and have the U S government basically stop you from trying to stop the proliferation of your invention. Um, but there is a scene where Oppenheimer is unable to look at what he has done to the people of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I think it's cowardly for the film to not make us see it as many American flags are in, are in the frame of this picture. I really think this is an R rated drama for grownups. I think we're all mature. I, I don't think we should, I don't, I don't think he needs to dramatize the dropping of the bomb. I think that might've been a step too far, but I, I think the least we can be shown is, you know, the academic photography of what happened of the aftermath. I, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know that it is. No, I would st- stand by calling it cowardly. I, I don't know. You have to have it for the film to be a success because I'm still, you know, coming in around a three and a half stars on it. But I really do think it's a big misstep. And I think Killian Murphy's performance of not being able to, like, look directly at the images is, is pretty compelling. But I, I do feel like it's a it's a misstep for the film to not address it. Yeah. And that's kind of the common one of the more common critiques I've seen, especially on Twitter is, you know, refusing to show that. And then it becomes a debate of is it, you know needed is it necessary mm-hmm. is it about that and whatever uh so yeah i mean that's probably where your mileage is going to vary with, totally. with some of the messaging here um because i mean it very is you know oppenheimer's story and yeah it part i mean a big part of that is the atomic bomb and, and it's it, concerned with the ethics of the dropping of the bomb yeah. for sure i don't want to sell the film short it yeah, yeah. definitely is like interested in those conversations it's just more interested in what happened to Robert after the bomb was created. Yeah. And for me, as, as with you, I, that third act is when we're all in hearings and meetings, it's just like, Oh my God, this was so much more compelling when we had a pounding score and we were cutting to scientific yeah. in, endeavors. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It really drags when it's, and I'm usually, you know me, I love people standing around talking jargon in a room, yeah. figuring shit out. I'm a big sucker for uh, actors just sitting around acting. I, I, and that's I, what this is. I, I mean, it's actors, the movie, you know, which one really works for me is when they're at the table and they keep having to move the flower arrangement. Yeah. That's, that's a, good a bit. real good business. That's a, business. That's such a good bit. Yeah. Um, Man, yeah, I, I, I'm a sucker for that. So same. I mean, God to your performances. I mean, uh, I think Oldman's top the bottom. I mean, kind of goofy, but otherwise, it's I'm, funny. It's just like a. F- I love how evil he is. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. As uh, Truman, Truman. Uh, it's so funny because it, it is every twenty or thirty minutes or so. There's like, oh, there's Casey Affleck for yeah. five minutes. Or Do you have a favorite? Ooh, um, I have mine. Man, I like Damon so much. Damon's a guy I've just come around along so much, but he's a big part of the movie. I think uh, he doesn't have you know a huge role, but I think uh, a lot of redemptions coming for. I'm gonna mispronounce his name, but Alden uh, Einreich. Einreich, you yeah, know, uh, who's doing a great job here as a uh, Senate aide. Yeah, I, I'm uh, a big fan of uh, Macon Blair showing up as yeah. Oppenheimer's legal counsel. It took me so long. I was like watching. I'm like, why does he look so familiar? Yeah, and I had to yeah. look it up afterward. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Macon Blair's great. Um, Hartnett. Josh Hartnett comes yeah. out swinging. Uh, I told, uh, I leaned over to my wife and I said, man, old Josh Hartnett's starting to look a lot like Kyle Chandler. <laughs> um, he's, he's kind of filled out quite a bit. Well, he kind of looks like... Um, it doesn't help that he's wearing the, the business type of, stuff. Uh, yeah. It, well, yeah, Kyle Chandler. Sorry. I thought you were talking about, um, what's his name? Uh, Chandler know. Bing. Oh, was, Matthew Perry? Yeah. 
I always confuse Matthew Perry's character name with the actor, uh, Kyle funny. Chandler. Yeah, yeah. Kyle now, Chandler. Hart and Kyle Chandler do kind of favor each other. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. here. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it, it is just, you know, there's people from Nickelodeon shows and Disney shows popping up and yep. Yep. fun stuff like that. So it's... Juno's best friend. Yeah. Blink and you'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, you, you, you just stacked to Matthew the Matthew Modine. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is that... No. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. So... And that was a fun to... Really just a... Just a an incredible ensemble, like really <laughs> a crazy cast. People like working with this guy, you know, there's Rami Malik for five minutes, you know? Yeah. And Oscar winner, Rami Malik. Yeah. <laughs> Just here he is. Um, so yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we, we talked quite a bit about what we think of the movie. Dalton, do you think people should go see if they haven't already, do they go see Oppenheimer? If you've got analog film near you, get out to it. Absolutely. Um, if not, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, this is a pretty damn successful historical drama. I like World War II history. Uh, I, I was a history channel child, uh, so I'm an easy lay for this kind of thing at some level. Um, but yeah, if, if you have access to see this on analog, whether that's analog IMAX or, you know, just 70 or even the 35 screenings that are running for this, I say you run out to theater and, you know, take take the opportunity to get to see analog film presented in a you know a communal setting because come on how many chances do you Uh get to do that if you don't yeah this is going to be an imax for three weeks you got time you know get get to an imax screening because don't you want to see that ten thousand foot tall pillar of fire on a big screen i know i do Uh, i'm a little freak but uh yeah i not essential, I guess, is what I would say. If you can't get on analog, I, I would say, you know, try to get to a matinee IMAX and one of its, you know, once it's been out for a week or two. Um, but definitely an interesting film. And for me, one of one of the more interesting Nolans by a, quite a wide margin. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, I've seen a lot of people you know, questioning, is this Nolan's best film? And I don't know. I, I from a technical standpoint, maybe. I, I mean, he feels like he's playing at a level of maturity we haven't seen from him mm-hmm. yet. Uh, I think it, it's all the pieces finally clicking now, narratively, thematically, there may be some problems there. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, technically I don't know. I, I think it's pretty close to maybe his best. And in, in that regard, uh, I think you go see this, you know, don't rush out. Obviously that three hour runtime scares people. I, I don't blame you. It's hard for me to bite the bullet and go see a three hour movie these days, especially when every, uh, big movie feels like it has to be two and a half, three hours. So I get it. There's a fatigue there for me as well. Um, but yeah, I think you, you go check it out. I think it's worth seeing. I think it's worth talking about. I saw somebody mention uh, it, it may be the best biopic. Uh, yeah. I don't know that that's wrong in, in a long time. Um, it's a genre that falls privy to so many uh, trappings and generic bits because yeah. everyone almost plays the same. And this does, by its very nature of Nolan being nonlinear and playing with his ideas, mm-hmm. uh, gets to get around a lot of that. And it, in many ways, makes it bigger than Oppenheimer himself in a way that most biopics don't manage to mm. do in the bigger world around them. And it does that thing of trying to interrogate something bigger, I think, and, and all Definitely. that. So those, you know, those questions remain, you know, where it lands in, in Nolan's filmography, where it lands as a biopic, 
I, I assume we're going to be talking about it in a few months come award season. Mm-hmm. I, I have to think that it shows back up then. Uh, yeah, there's going to be some actor nominations, if, if oh, nothing 100%. else. And yeah. God, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming cinematography. I'm assuming score. Yeah. I, I think you know, a lot of the technical sound. I mean, I, I didn't mention her. Sound design is incredible. Mm-hmm. When you start dealing with bombs and sound moving at different speeds of light and things, it's... It does all that really well. So, uh, yeah, go watch it. I, I think, you know, form your point of opinion, obviously, but mm-hmm. I, I would recommend seeing it. I think uh, the next weekend will kind of show what word of mouth has to do for this. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they surpassed those projections and, and seeing an audience, you know, I kind of kept looking back over my shoulder. I was down low and everybody was enthralled. That was in that theater with it. And so I, I think even for casual viewers, the style and sensibilities of Nolan's will connect. With the exception of Dr. And Mrs. My Wife, who had just eaten a cheesesteak and was very sleepy and oh. enjoyed a powerful nap through most of Oppenheimer, <laughs> as is her want to do sometimes. I love it. Yeah, God love her. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been there. I've yeah. napped through plenty of movies in my, in my old age. So um, I'll leave you with this, listener. I am become death destroyer of worlds, but it's spelled B E C U M, and that's the movie's joke, not mine. Uh, <laughs> you'll see. You'll get there. Um, I, I guess I'll also say, uh, go check out Barbie too. I, I think it's also worth seeing with a crowd. Go with some friends, wear pink. You know, have make a make a production of it. Yeah, have a fun time. Yeah, that was the. I mean, yeah, uh, going to see this on on Thursday night. I saw several people uh, decked out for Barbie, which is just fun. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I it's would, a fun. It, it, it's a fun time to be in the movies right I, now. I went to a ten thirty. Uh, saw a sea of pink leaving the theater as I was part of a sea of pink entering the theater. Pretty fun time. Uh, and, and again, I talked about Oppenheimer's great ending, really great ending on Barbie. Uh, I yeah. look forward to your, your uh, reaction to it. I, I am super excited to catch up with it tonight. So, um, we'll get this on, on the road though, so I can go do that in a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, go check us out on social media, good trash media, wherever you find people on social media, uh, you can send us, uh, emails at good trash at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, get out to the movies and we will see you all next time.